0: 1 Samuel chapter number 13, and uh, I want to read seven verses here and then jump over to chapter 14, and you're going to see why here in a moment. The Bible says in verse number 1, Saul reigned one year. When he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose him three thousand men of Israel, whereof two thousand were with Saul in Michmash and in Mount Bethel, and a thousand were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin, and the rest of the people he sent every man to his tent. And Jonathan smote the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba. And the Philistines heard of it. Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard say that Saul had smitten a garrison of the Philistines, and that Israel also was had an abomination with the Philistines. And the people were called together after Saul to Gilgal. <clears throat> and the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight. And Israel, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and people, uh, as the sand of the, which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and pitched in Michmash eastward toward, from beth When the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were distressed, then the people did hide themselves in caves and in thickets and in rocks and in high places and in pits. And some of the Hebrews went over Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was yet in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. Now turn over to chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now it came to pass upon a day that Jonathan the son of Saul said unto the young man that bare his armor, Come and let us go over to the Philistine's garrison that is on the other side, but he told not his father. And Saul tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah, under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron, And the people that were with him were about 600 men. And Ahiah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. And the people knew not that Jonathan was gone. And between the passages by which Jonathan sought to go over under the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on the one side and a sharp rock on the other side. The name of the one was Bozez, and the name of the other, Cena. Uh, the forefront of the one was situated northward over against Michmash, and the other southward over against Gibeah. Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, Come, let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For there is no restraint to the Lord, to save by many or by few. And his armor-bearer said unto him, Do all that is in thine heart, turn thee. Behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. Then said Jonathan, Behold, we will pass over unto these men. And we will discover ourselves unto them. If they say thus unto us, Tarry until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and will not go up unto them. But if they say thus, Come up unto us, then we will go up. For the Lord hath delivered them into our hand, and this shall be a sign unto us. And both of them discovered themselves under the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, Behold, the Hebrews come forth out of the holes where they had hid themselves. And the men of the garrison answered Jonathan and his armor-bearer and said, Come up to us, and we will show you a thing. Jonathan said unto his armor-bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord hath delivered them into the hand of Israel. Jonathan climbed up upon his hands and upon his feet, and his armor-bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan, and his armor-bearer slew after him. That first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about twenty men within, as it were, an half acre of land which a yoke of oxen might plow. And there was trembling in the host, in the field, and among all the people. The garrison and the spoilers, they also trembled, and the earth quaked, so it was a very great trembling. And the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah Benjamin looked, and behold, the multitude melted away, and they went on beating down one another. Then said Saul unto the people that were with him, "'Number now, and see who is gone from us.' And when they had numbered, behold, Jonathan and his armor-bearer were not there. And Saul said unto Ahiah, "'Bring hither the ark of God.' For the ark of God was at that time with the children of Israel. And it came to pass that while Saul talked unto the priest, uh, that the noise that was in the host of the Philistines went on and increased. And Saul said unto the priest, "'Withdraw thine hand.' And Saul and all the people that were with him assembled themselves, and they came to the battle. And behold, every man's sword was against his fellow, and there was a very great discomfiture. Moreover, the Hebrews that were with the Philistines before that time, which went up with them into the camp from the country uh, round about, even they also turned to be with the Israelites that were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, all the men of Israel which had hid themselves in Mount Ephraim, when they heard that the Philistines fled, even they also followed hard after them in the battle." So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed over unto Beth-Avon. Thank you for being patient with that reading. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. God, I pray that you'd speak to hearts. Give me strength in the preaching. Give them strength in the hearing. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would have liberty this night to move upon hearts and to stir us. Father, we thank you for camp. Thank you for the 13 saved, Lord, and maybe more that we're not even aware of. But Father, we thank you for all the work that you've done. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. I want to preach to you tonight for a few short moments on the topic or the thought, though none, go with me. As we had the young people up there singing, and I have decided to follow Jesus, you know, that's we sing it in all kinds of places, but we sing it a lot up at camp. And it just fit right in with the theme that we had of purposing our hearts this year. And there's a verse in it that uh, is probably my favorite verse out of all of them where it says, though none, go with me, still I will follow. Can I say to your church tonight, young people tonight, if you're really going to live for Jesus, there's going to be times you're going to have to walk alone. There's going to be times no one's going to go with you. There's going to be times people you love dearly is going to turn their back on you. There's going to be times that people that you thought was your friends going to turn your back on you. And you've got to make up your mind from the outset, listen, I'm in this thing with Christ till the end, and I'm going to walk with Him, and I'm going to talk with Him. And though none go with me, still I will follow. We find in the story set before us tonight, I know that was a lot of reading, but I'm going to try to use at least the majority of it. We find the story of the Philistines setting themselves in array against the children of Israel. Now, the Bible tells us of the small little army that Saul had gathered together. It had only been reigning uh, for two years. And it tells us how that Saul kept certain men with him, sent certain men with Jonathan. Others of them he sent home. And they weren't expecting a battle. And can I say to you tonight, church, that one of the greatest problems in the New Testament church today is we don't expect a battle. It's going to be a battle if we're going to live for Christ. It's going to have difficulty. Listen, if you heard some TV preacher got up and told you that if you got right with God, it was just going to be new Rolls Royces and perfect hell and no problems, they lied to you. I'm sorry to tell you that, but they lied to you. The Bible says, "...Yea, and all they that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution." And I'm saying to you tonight, and we saw it this week, all workers could testify. And I talked to some of them, I told them, I said, something you've got to realize is every single person up at this campground is going through their own battle. I mean, there's something, we had one boy, and I thought, I was hoping he'd be here tonight, he wasn't able to be, but we had one boy, his first time that he'd ever gone up. Brian just joined the church not too long ago, and uh, first time he'd ever gone up, man, he's, stumped, he's stepping out of his comfort zone. If you're ever going to do something for God, you're going to have to step outside your comfort zone. Nobody ever does anything for God with spare change and spare time. You're going to have to step out. It's going to hurt a little bit. And he stepped out in faith and uh, gets phone call about halfway through the week. Job he's had for seven years. They're cutting out, laying off, and he's losing his job. We had several others of us. Bless his heart, Brother Kerry. I'm surprised he survived the week. I mean, it's just one thing after the other. And he, he ain't complained a bit, and you won't hear him complain a bit. And, uh, you know, he went the whole week. He had storms come through, tear up Jack all over his property. Uh, he had all kind. he stepped in something that will not be named from behind the holy desk. And he just had all kinds of things happen this week. Melissa and, uh, Brandon had the scare with Jacks and others of them. I might go on and on about all the battles. Everybody over that campground was fighting their own battle. Sometimes you don't even know about the battle someone else is fighting. Uh, most of the time I find when people have fought enough battles, they just quit telling other people about the battles they're fighting. They just fight them and go on anyway. And I'm going to tell you something tonight. That same old line that we talk about all the time, he's still roaring and roaming and ruining. And we better get it in our mind that the devil's going to do his best to stop us from serving Jesus Christ. It's a battle to live this thing for Jesus Christ. It's always going to be a battle. And it's always a battle at camp, but hey, it's always a battle all throughout the year. Sometimes I worry that we don't see it because we're not fighting it as hard when we're down here as opposed to being up at the campground. The fact is, it's a battle. It's always a battle. So the Philistines have set themselves in array. And I want you to notice, first off, the challenge that was before the children of Israel. I mean, this was a daunting task. This was an intimidating army. Here the children of Israel are, and there's just a few, just about 3,000 of them. And the Bible tells us in this passage, look back at chapter 13 and verse number 5. It describes for us... The Philistine army, listen to what it says, and the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel, thirty thousand chariots and six thousand horsemen and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. Now, I believe my Bible tonight, and when I read that, I believe what it's telling me when it says that there was 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen. And you're saying, well, preacher, do you believe that there is as the uh, sand on the seashore for multitude? Uh, I don't know that uh, number for number there is like that, but I believe if you looked at them, you would have got that impression. Just a sea of them out before them. And as they set themselves against the Philistines in battle, we find that the adversary was daunting. I mean, this was a big army. This was a big fight. Do you understand what some of these young people are facing when they get back home? Do you understand? What, I mean, hey, do you know that some of these young people, and I hope this isn't true about any of them here tonight, and I don't believe it's true about them, but is just a small fraction of what we had. We had 54 kids up there. It's just a, a drop in the bucket to what we had. And some of them kids, they went home, and the biggest challenge they had is their parents in serving Jesus Christ. There's some of them that their parents met them at the door with a big old bucket of cold water try to settle them down about all this Jesus business. God help you, friend. We're going to answer to God one day. We're going to answer to God one day. Some of our young people are going, I have no doubt in my mind. And we don't, we don't know. We didn't see any evidence of anything. If we did, we'd do what we're supposed to report it. But I have no, I, no doubt in my mind. You get 54 kids together in the day that we live in, there's probably some of them that went back into homes where they was going to get beat on where even if they didn't get physically abused, they might have been verbally abused. I mean, it's a battle that they're entering into. And some of you, you know what the battle's all about. I look at some Christians, and I talk about a battle, and they just stare at me. They don't know what I'm talking about. And then others, I talk to them about the battle, and they give me that look of a fellow soldier. They know the battle that we're talking about. We have a daunting enemy. There's there's a triune enemy that afflicts the believer, and it's that of the devil, the world, and the flesh. You'll find it all the way through the Word of God that we have an enemy that is persecuting us. And our adversary is very daunting. But I want you to notice, not only was the adversary daunting, but the outcome was rather dismal. Look at the language that's used in verse number 6 of chapter 13. Look what it says. It says, when the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait. Now, you say, what's a strait? Well, we have a terminology for it today. We have a turn of phrase that we use a lot today. And that is when somebody's between a rock and a what? Hard place. That's when you're in a straight. When you're in a narrow passing and you've got no choice in the matter. It says later on in the verses that they were all trembling. Can I say to you that uh, it's going to be a tough battle? And I'm glad, listen to me, I'm glad that, that through Jesus Christ we have the victory. I'm thankful of that tonight. But don't think for one minute that there aren't multitudes of little battles that we can lose if we don't fight right. I mean, my salvation is not dependent on a, on a single thing I do. It's dependent upon the finished work of Christ on Calvary. But now, we're not talking about salvation now. We're talking about the battle. I'm thankful that me getting to heaven is not based upon whether I hold out or hold on or hold in or hang on or let go or anything else. It's based upon the finished work of Christ on Calvary. I'm thankful for that. But listen, there's a lot of battles that we face day in and day out with this old adversary that we have. These young people are facing them too. If we're not careful, we will lose those battles. And it won't mean an eternity in hell if we've already accepted Christ. It won't mean our salvation. It won't mean going to heaven or not, but it might mean uh, the likely or the livelihood. It might mean the wherewithal. It might mean our testimony. It might mean how our kids live for Christ. It might mean what our church does for Jesus Christ. It might mean the impact that we have in our community. I'm saying this. This is an important fight that we're in tonight. It's important. We better get it through our heads we better get it through our heads that, that uh, it ain't game time. It's not time to play games. It's time to get serious for Jesus Christ. One of the things that pressed on my soul as we're going up for camp and does every year is the well-being and the spiritual well-being of X number of kids. This year it was 54. 54 young people and many of them that have never been saved. 54 young people and they all need a closer walk with Christ. 54 young people and we've got one week to show them something of God. I'm telling you, this fight is serious. Some of you have got kids. This fight is serious. you got loved ones lost and on their way to hell. This fight is serious. I'm saying the church better wake up and get her head straight about this thing because we don't get no do-overs. We don't get no second chances. We either fight now or we don't fight at all. We see the outcome was dismal. But I want you to notice that the army was dwindling. And this is kind of the thrust of my message tonight. Look what it says in verse number 6. And verse number 7, notice what began to happen. The church, uh, I say the church, nation of Israel, looked at the army that was set before them. And notice what the response was. Look at verse number 6. It says, at the very end of it, "...and they came up and pitched in Michmash eastward from beth Aven, when the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were distressed, and the people that hide themselves in caves, and in thickets, and in rocks, and in high places, and in pits." some of the Hebrews went over Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. And as for Saul, he was yet in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. We see what happens to this army that was assembled. Here they are, and you can imagine uh, that, you know, the army's looking pretty good. And it kind of reminds me of camp, you know. You show up on Monday, and everybody's looking good. You know, they're excited, and they got their sunscreen on. And they got, you know, they got their hat, they got their whistle. And they're excited, man, and they're, I mean, they're fresh-faced, and they're bushy-tailed and bright-eyed, and, man, they're excited. Let's get these kids up here, man. Let's start working with them. And then by the time you get around to Friday, they're stumbling around. They've lost a shoe. Half of their face is peeling where they forgot to apply sunblock on one side of it. You know, they, they've got, they're not even speaking in words anymore. You say, morning, they go, oh, and they're barely surviving you can see the nation of Israel. You know, man, they're excited. And they're ready to fight. And then they start seeing chariot after chariot after chariot roll in. And then the chariots are done. And they start seeing horsemen after horsemen after horsemen ride in. Then the horsemen are all settled. And like a wave, here come the foot soldiers. And all of a sudden, this army starts dwindling we see that three things happen. I want you to notice that some of them, some of them were deserting. Some of them ran and hid in the caves and the rocks. Can I say that there's a lot of Christians today that have deserted from the fight. They're scared to fight it. They don't want to fight it. They don't want to be any part of it. They're scared of what it's going to cost if they take a stand as a Christian. They're scared of what it's going to mean if they start witnessing to their co-workers. They're scared of what it's going to mean if they step out in faith and begin to show their testimony to others. And so they go and they hide in the rocks and the caves. And you do enough begging and you do enough investigating, you call a Pinkerton man in, you can find out they're a Christian. But they're doing everything they can to hide it. Some are deserters. But I want to say some are are defecting. Some are deserting, but some are defecting. You know what it means when it says some of them were in Gad? Gad's a Philistine city. Some of them, when they saw that army, they said, hey, I'd rather be on that side than this side. You know, Philistine's always a picture of the world in the Bible, worldliness. And you know, there's a lot of Christians that they don't want to live that life and they don't want to fight that fight. They're too scared to do it. They're too cowardly to do it. So you know what they do? They paint themselves just like the world is painted. They put on the same armor the world puts on. And they dress up just like the world dresses up. And they talk like the world talks. And they act like the world acts. Because they're scared of this fight that's in front of them. Let me tell you what's happened to a lot of churches. We ready now? I ain't got much voice, but if I've got to blow it out on this one, I'll blow it out on this one. Let me tell you what's happened to a lot of churches. A lot of churches too scared and too lazy to do it through preaching and praying and winning people to Christ and giving their entire selves to the Lord. So they're bringing in CEOs. And they're dressing their churches up like the world. Listen now. They're dressing their churches up like the world. And they're hiding in the Philistines' camp to try to survive. And they brought in this rock music, and they brought in these CEOs. And they said, we'll do it the world's way. The world knows what they're doing. The world can build a corporation. We'll build a corporation. Hey, listen, they they may build a really great organization... But only Christ can build an organism. Amen? Amen. Some of them go into the Philistines camp. Then there's the third category. Boy, a lot of churches and a lot of church folk fall into this. The Bible says of Saul, we'll read it in the next passage, that he was sitting under a pomegranate tree in Gibeah. Him and about 600 men surrounding him. Oh, they still had their colors flying. They still had their armor on. But they were as far from the battle as they could possibly get. Some are deserting, some are defecting. But I'll tell you where the most of us at, some are just doing nothing. They go to church, they own a Bible, they pray over their meals. But to really get in this thing and fight it, they're not interested in that. Oh, they don't mind coming into the house of God every now and then and feeling like a good Christian. But they're not really going to serve God. They're not going to give anything up for Him. They're not really going to get down on their knees and get a hold of the horns of the altar. They're not really going to get in their Bible and, and dig something out of it that will help them and help somebody else and help them commune with God. Oh, they don't mind if somebody asks them, are you a Christian? See, they didn't take their colors down. They didn't take their colors down. There's some folks, if you ask them if they're a Christian, they'll tell you. They didn't take their colors down. They just didn't march them into battle either. There's a lot of folks out here that are just doing nothing. We see the challenge set before us. But I want you to notice not only the challenge, I want you to notice the champion of the day. The Bible tells us that Jonathan, who was the son of Saul, took his armor bearer upon one of these days. And he looked at his armor bearer and he said, let's go. Armor bearer said, where are we going? He said, it don't matter, just follow. And they snuck out of camp. They didn't tell anybody. And as they're walking along the way, headed towards the garrison of the Philistines, Jonathan looks at his armor-bearer and listen to what he says. He looks at him and he says, It may be that the Lord will work for us. The Lord is not restrained to save by many or by few. He says, We're going down to the battle. Listen now, Jonathan says, If no one else goes, I'll still go. If no one else goes, I'll still go. And you know something I found? i found that a lot of times, if you'll make up your mind to serve Jesus Christ, God will give you an armor bearer to go with you. He sent him out by twos in the New Testament. And God's got a good way of doing that. But Jonathan, I want you to notice, first off, his fortitude. Nobody else was going to the battle. But Jonathan didn't care what anybody else was doing. Jonathan said, I can't make anybody else do right, but I can do right myself. I can't make anybody else be faithful, but I can be faithful. I can't make anybody else march into the battle. You know that at one time, Jonathan had Israelites underneath him. You say, what happened to them? They all forsook him. You say, where was Jonathan's army? They were in the caves. They were in the Philistines' army. They were back there with Saul under the pomegranate tree. Jonathan could have given up because everybody gave up on him, but he didn't. Jonathan could have given in because everybody else was giving in to the Philistines, but he didn't. Jonathan could have given out and headed to the hills because a lot of them had done it. But Jonathan said, no, though none go with me, still I will follow. Though nobody else will fight it, Jonathan said, if I've got to walk alone, I'll walk alone. If I've got to be the only one on that battlefield, the only one, listen to me, if the whole world says it's okay to do wrong, it's still right to do right. If the whole world gets unfaithful on God, it's still right for the Christian to be faithful. If the whole world, if the whole world says it's okay to sin, it's still not okay to sin. Jonathan notices fortitude, but notices faith. He said, it may be that the Lord will work for us. I like the way he says it. You know why I like the way he says it? Because Jonathan didn't say, I'm going to get the Lord to work for us. He says, it may be that the Lord will work for us. You know what that tells me? It tells me that Jonathan would have been satisfied to die alone on that battlefield. It may be that the Lord will work for us. Jonathan wasn't saying, Oh, I know if we run out into the battle, God will deliver in a big way. But what he says is he says, The Lord is not restrained to save by many or by few. Jonathan says, If God wants to, He can do it. But if my life ends today on this battlefield... Just me and my armor bearer living for God. That's fine by me. I sing the song all the time and I ain't gonna try to sing it. I barely got the voice to preach. But I'm gonna die on the battlefield. Let me tell you something, the greatest thing Christian can ever do is go to their grave in this fight. I'm not and listen, and by the way, lest anybody get nervous, I ain't preaching it like the Muslims preach it, right? I'm not saying strap a bomb to yourself and go into some market. God's not in that. God's not within a hundred miles of that. When I'm talking about this fight, I'm not talking about going out some kind of jihad. I'm talking about living for Christ and staying in this thing and being faithful. Jonathan said, it don't matter if no one comes with me. And it doesn't matter if no one dies as a result of my sword. Jonathan says, I'd be willing to die on that battlefield. Let me ask you something. Are you willing to serve God when no one pays attention? Are you willing to serve God when no one thanks you? When no one pats your back, when no one encourages you? Are you willing to serve God? I, I wonder, I wonder if uh, if us as camp workers, I say myself too, I wonder, let's say we hit a five-year dry spell, we didn't see no kids saved. Would we quit on it? I don't know. I'm, I'm not giving an answer. That's not rhetorical. I'm just saying, ask it to yourself. Would we be willing to die on that battlefield? Would we be willing to do it, not because we see fruit, but because we want to be faithful? Because it's the right thing? Jonathan's faith, he says, it may be the Lord will work for us. The Lord is not restrained to save by many or by few. Let me tell you something, young people. If you if you walk out of camp, walk straight into a battlefield, have every one of your friends turn their back on you, have people cuss your name and spit in your eye and spit in your face, will you still be faithful? The Lord's able. The Lord's able to have you walk right back in and see every one of them people saved. Sure he is. He don't Listen, he don't need no crusade to do it. He can take a young person and do it. But what about if he doesn't? You're going to give up? You're going to quit? You're going to start living for the world and have to go through this next year? Getting your life straightened back out? you going to do that? Or are you going to say, it may be the Lord will work for us. But if I have to dial on on that battlefield, I'll do it. I'll do it because it's right. We see his faith. But notice his fierceness. I like this. The Bible says that he goes down to the battle. And man, he fought like a wild man. I'll tell you what the world has a problem. The world doesn't have a problem with this worldly Christianity. And the world doesn't have... You know what's killing our churches today? Let me say it in two words. You ready? Casual Christianity. There's going to be some of you that's going to go back home, go to your parents, or you're going to go to your school, or go to your friends, and they're going to say, Listen, that's great what God did for you, but you ain't got to talk about it all the time. Some of them going to have parents say that to them. Hey, that's great what happened to you, but you ain't got to talk about it all the time. will not you just calm down and mellow out a little bit about it? will not you just settle down about it? Can I say I have a lot of people say that to me, <laughs> not because I'm somebody or something, but I'm just crazy enough that they don't know what I'm going to do. Just mellow out. Just calm down. Hey, if you want to say you're a Christian, that's fine. But don't go throwing all your clothes away. Hey, you won't say you're a Christian. That's fine. Don't go throwing them CDs away. We pay good money for those. Hey, you won't say you're a Christian. That's fine, but don't go asking me if I'm saved. Hey, just mellow out a little bit. Can I say to you, we can be a fanatic about football. We can be fanatic about basketball. We can be a fanatic about any manner of silly and stupid things. that ain't going to matter a lick when we leave this world. I think we ought to be fanatic about Jesus Christ. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. People say, you're a nut. Yeah, but I'm screwed to the right bolt. Hey, I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried about our kids getting fanatics. Some of those same people that say, well, I just don't want my kid to be a fanatic. He'll take him to some rock concert and let them paint themselves up and scream their heads off. But then they don't want them talking about Jesus Christ all the time. Don't be a fanatic. Look what Jonathan did. He got down there and he fought like a wild man. He didn't pace himself. Oh, we worry about our little ones, don't we? They need to pace themselves. They're going to lose all their friends if they keep acting like this. Yeah, and losing all them friends may be the best thing ever happened to them. They lose friends over living for Jesus Christ. ain't the kind of friends that they need anyway, amen? Well, you know, bless their hearts, they just need to slow down. They want to go to church once or twice a month, that's fine, but they don't need to expect to get there every single service. Ain't no wonder our family's in the shape that they're in. No, Jonathan was a fanatic. He was a wild man. The Bible says he killed 20 men in the space of half an acre, which a a, a yoke of oxen might plow. You know that a lot of commentators believe this, that when it says, which a yoke of oxen might plow, that's not saying a half of an acre. That's saying one furrow a half an acre long. And this is what I kind of see in my mind. You can see something different. But, buddy, I can see Jonathan coming down there and just... and just melting through the enemy. Fanatic. Like a wild man fighting the battle that was before. Him. Let me tell you what our world needs. Our world needs some Jonathans that will come cutting through this battle like a wild man, saying, I'm not going to let anybody slow me down. I'm going to live for Christ. I'm going to live for Christ. If I die here, I'm going to take as many with me as I can. You say, preacher, as many what? As many of the sins of the flesh, as many of the influence of the devil. I'm not talking about getting out here, like I said, not some jihad. We we're not telling these kids to go out and pop a cap in. Is that what they say now? I think that's what they say. Pop a cap in someone. That may be really old. Is that old? Do people still say that? Okay, thank you, Nate. I'm not talking about that kind of nonsense. I'm not encouraging our kids to go out here and be stupid. What I'm saying is this, to purpose, they're going to live for Christ in a way that's going to matter. And finally, I want you to notice not only the challenge and not only the champion, but notice the charge. Now, I like this. I want you to notice first off that the foes began to fear. The Bible says the Philistines began to tremble. You know what a lot of that is? And some of you have already been through it. You've already been talking to some of your friends. And they don't even know what's happened to you. You know what that is? That's the foe fearing. They're starting to tremble. And I'm not talking about... They, some of them don't, ain't even aware of what, what happened to you. But I'm saying that grip that Satan holds on them, he's starting to tremble. And they're starting to tremble. They know God's got a hold of you. Some of us, adult, God, they know God's done something in us. It makes Satan nervous when we reach our young people. I mean, I'm not, listen, I'm not trying to be rude. I'm not trying to be unkind. I love old people. I love them so much, one of these days I'm going to be one. Amen? When I grow up, I'm going to be an old person. So I'm not being negative or critical towards old people. Which do you think upsets the devil more? When we get somebody back to the Lord, back close to the Lord, that's in their fifties or sixties or seventies, and a lot of their years are behind them, and Satan's already got a lot of use out of them, or whether we snatch away one of these young people that Satan wanted to ruin and wreck their lives, get them on fire for God at a young age, and see God use them. That's what really upsets him. That's what really makes him mad. That's what really gets him riled. We see that the foe was fearing. But I want you to notice that the soldiers were seeing. I like this. We're not going to take the time because some of you are fading and I'm fading a little bit myself. But as you read through this passage, you know what happens? Jonathan and his armor bearer, they go down there and, man, they, they're they just they're, they're cutting through them. They're cutting through. Them. And God's working. And there's a great slaughter taking place. And Saul's up on the hillside. Saul brings some men around him and he says, Who is that down there? And they said, we don't know who it is, Saul. He says, take a head count. And they find that they have 598 men in camp. And they say, who's missing? And they say, well, Saul, that's your boy. And that's his armor bearer. And you know what Saul says? You know what backslidden Saul says? He says, get the ark. We're going down and help him. Let me tell you something, those that are doing nothing, a lot of them would do something if they'd see somebody else do something. <laughs> a lot of them would do something if they could see somebody else do something. You know, apathy breeds apathy. And, and you know what we do? We all, we, it doesn't bother us if everybody's sitting around doing something. And it doesn't bother us if everybody's sitting around doing nothing. But I can't tell you, you know why it is in a lot of churches, a lot of churches that you'll go to, that when uh, when uh, they get some kind of change of leadership, and i got to say this, I'm going to be honest with this, I didn't have this here. I was very blessed in this respect. I didn't have this here, but I know a lot of churches that they got a new pastor, and then people started saying this, well, I just don't like all this change. I just don't like all this change. You know, I didn't have to struggle with that here, but a lot of churches do. I just don't like Maybe I had to struggle with more of it than I'm even aware of. If you said it then, don't say it now. Keep it to yourself. I just don't like all this change. I don't like all this change. They change their underwear, but I don't like all this change. You know, you know what a lot of them are really saying? They're saying, preacher, we ain't done nothing so long that it convicts us when all these other people start doing something. We like this whole sitting around not doing anything part of it. Because if you don't do anything, I don't feel bad about me not doing anything. But somebody starts doing something, and all those people sitting around doing nothing start going, well, well, I reckon we ought to do something. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we find here in this battle. Could you imagine how convicting it was for Saul and his men? 600 men sitting on the hillside, griping about how that army's too big, complaining about how it can't be done, complaining about what's happened. They look down, and they see Jonathan and, Saul and his armor bearer just a-mowing through them. And they said, boy, we let them go down to the battle alone. We should have gone down with them. You'd be amazed how many of your friends that are Christians but aren't serving God start serving God if they saw you start serving God. Church folks, you'd be amazed how many other church folks that ain't doing nothing start doing something if they'd see you start doing something. You say, but preacher, they see you or they see someone else doing something. Yeah, but they expect to see us doing something but some of you that you don't have to do nothing. Nobody would gripe you. Nobody would would push you. Nobody would gossip about you. Everybody understands your situation, quote, unquote. If you'd say, I'm going to do something for God. may not be much, but I'm going to do the best I can do. You'd be amazed how many people stand around and say, well, maybe I can't do what they're doing, but I can sure do something. I can sure do something. But then there's a second thing that happened. The roar of that army started to get louder. And you can kind of see a bunch of Israelites. You can just picture in your mind. I'm a picture person. Is that okay? So picture in your mind as the camera pans to a darkened cave entrance. And all of a sudden, you start seeing meek and timid and fearful heads pop out of that cave. And you hear one of them say, What's going on down there? And somebody says, Jonathan and his armor bearer, they went into the battle. They didn't. By the way, they didn't wait for everyone to give them permission either. They just went. They just saw something needed to be done. They didn't wait to be asked. They saw it needed to be done, and they went. And all of a sudden, these people in the cave start saying, well, hey, if Jonathan will go, I'll go. And a lot of these people, listen to me, a lot of them, you'd be amazed. You'd be amazed if you'd start standing up for Christ in your workplace, how many Christians you work with that are closet Christians, You'd be amazed if you'd start talking about Christ, how many people that you go to school with, young people that go to church, that you don't even know go to church. They're just sitting around in their cave waiting for somebody to go into the battle. If they see somebody else take a stand, they'd take a stand too. They'd take a stand too. Why don't you notice a third group? As the battle is raging... And you can kind of imagine this whole sea, this huge army. I mean, uh, footmen is the multitude of the sand of the sea. And, and 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen. And you can see trembling somewhere at the back of the line. As you hear whispers go throughout that army, something's happening, something's happening. Somebody's come down. Somebody's fighting. Somebody's doing Something. And you can see gathered around a table, maybe eating a meal, maybe waking up from their tents, a group of Israelites that say, what's going on up at the front? You can see as they push their way through the enemy ranks, the enemy ranks, those enemies were happy to accept them into their ranks. You know why? Even if they didn't fight, that was still more Israelites not fighting against them. Still more Israelites not fighting against them. And they push to the front and all of a sudden there, they see him. There's Jonathan, their old commander, with no one around him but his armor bearer. I mean, just hard as a coffin nail with steel in his eyes, with a backbone of iron. And that big old arm swinging like a timber log, just mowing down Egyptians or Philistines or whoever was there. And they say, you know, we're fighting for the wrong side here. When they first saw the Army, they said, "We're fighting for the wrong side." But then when they see someone taking a stand, they say, "Boys, we're, we're really fighting for the wrong side." You'd be amazed how many of your friends, they don't want to be doing what they're doing. They don't, they don't want to be uh, consuming the things they're consuming, watching the things they're watching. You wouldn't believe how many of them don't want to be dressing how they're dressing and talking like they're talking. They don't think they can stand. I don't think they can do it. They see that army and they say, I'd rather be with them than against them. But they'd just see a Jonathan that'd stand up and say, though none go with me, still I will follow. I will fight when no one will fight. And if it means going to my death on this battlefield with not a single purple heart, with not a single uh, hail of praise to my name, I'll be willing to go. You'd be amazed at how many of them would say, I'll go with you. I'll go with you. You'd be amazed how many of them do what you all have done this week. Take those Philistine armor and lay it down and say, I'll start living like a Christian again. We see that the soldiers were seeing, but ultimately we see that the war was won. The Lord saved Israel that day. Some of you are saying, but wait a minute, I thought Jonathan saved Israel that day. Oh, but who do you think it was that gave Jonathan the strength and the courage to go to the battlefield? That's your only help and hope, young people. It's my only help and hope. All these adults, if you're going to live for Christ, you're going to have to do it by the power of God, by surrender to the Holy Spirit, by the meat of the Word of God. It's the only way you're going to do it. Some of you are saying, some of you adults even are saying, Preacher, you don't understand. You don't know the people I work with. You don't know the family I've got that's lost. You don't know the friends that I've got. Preacher, you don't understand. You don't, you don't understand my workplace situation. If I started witnessing, they'd fire me. Hey, you willing to die on the battlefield? It may be that the Lord will work for us. God's looking for some Jonathans tonight. I wonder who'd be willing to stand up and say, though none go with me, preacher, I still will follow. I'll live for Christ if no one does.